Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. The commission is here in our hood studio. <laughs> Double wide storefront. Huge. I'm so excited. There's a lot of firepower here today. We got the storehouse with Gucci D, the Korean Heidi Baker, the brains of the operation, and yours truly. So we're going to have a tremendous time together in the presence of the Lord on this podcast. And I'm um, super thankful for both of these couples, so I'll, I'll express that to them uh, in this forum, just for their love for Jesus and how they want to do it together. It's really refreshing to me and Sarah, and so we love and appreciate them. And so they've been at rescue for like, I don't know, probably a year and change now, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. And um, what really impressed me about Isaac and Deborah is that they're worship leaders and musicians and you know really gifted people but they didn't come in like, we're this or we're that. They just came in here and sat there. And I think one day I was preaching and the Lord was like, yeah, they do something with music. And so the Lord discovered them. <laughs> you know, like, and I really appreciate that because especially when you're young, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I do. And, and I think that's normal. But I thought what was above normal is just like, this is who we are. And, and they really didn't say that. And I thought that that was really something that was telling about who they're becoming. And I really appreciated that. Um, and so that was something that spoke to me before they spoke to me. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, that's cool, all right, good. Because that really, that really clarifies motives. Because anytime, anytime there's not patience, there's usually like a level of selfish ambition. And you know, that's, that's in all of us, but God, God really goes after that. And some of us have more of it than others. So some of us have to get executed publicly uh, for longer amounts of time than others. But so, you know, and then we have DK and uh, Tina, who's been just a tremendous blessing. And Tina works with Abner for such a time as this. And so there's just a, a cross flow of relationships and purpose and love. So we're excited. So how long have you guys been married? Well, we got married in December 2020, so that's like two, two and a half years. years. Yeah, almost two and a half years. Okay. And were were you guys like doing ministry together before you were married? Not like officially like together, but yeah, we did. We served together. We served in some like regional years. ministries. Like yeah. one of them was Worship as One, and we did a lot of uh, worship leading together actually yeah. as friends. Nothing weird. Friends like yeah. really friends. Yeah. When I was single, if I didn't think a girl was pretty... Or if she was fat, I would call her sister. I would be like, so I, you know, just to really clarify that, like what this is. I, I'm sure I was called brother a few times too, but you know, nevertheless, that's the situation. So now, but when you were doing stuff with her, you were kind of like checking her out. What was the, was she checking you out? What was that? <laughs> How, how did that it's go? It's a funny story, actually. Oh, I think, yeah. I think, I think you should talking about a love story right now? Yeah, a little bit. Like, how did, it's really important. <laughs> yeah, it's really important. I want to know. Okay. Um, well, we met in college mm-hmm. uh, my freshman year and his sophomore year. And, I, like, there was, like, a spark of attraction. And, like, we hung out, like, one-on-one once. And then, like, that spark died. And I think for both of us, you could speak for yourself. But for me, I was like... 
this isn't going anywhere. I don't think it's like the right time, and I wasn't looking to date anyone. Um, so, what's your what's your point on it? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think um, we really there was definitely some like light flirting when I was like nineteen and she was eighteen, like early college. But then after a few months of that, we just yeah, we just we became just completely pretty stopped. good friends. Actually, I enjoyed his friendship more than like having a romantic relationship with him. Yeah. And then we went to YWAM in 2016. And at that point, we were kind of like, we need, like for both of us, I think we were very focused on, we want intimacy with the Lord and there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that. So that's we deep. barely even talked actually that's during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually intentionally avoid her because like, I mean, we went... In the middle of college. See that? Because he didn't want to avoid her. <laughs> so that's why, let's get to the bottom of this, the juicy part. That's why he intentionally avoided her, because he didn't want to avoid her. <laughs> and now she's here with you. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, what defined our friendship, I feel like there was always a deep mutual respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And I really just, not in a mean way, but I just, I really didn't respect a lot of people um, the way I respected Deb all throughout our friendship. And so... I, when I caught feelings for her in 2019, like I, I told her pretty much immediately, and uh, yeah, that yeah. started it. Well, that's great. Now you're both here. I actually liked him secretly for three years. <laughs> yeah, and, I had um, no idea when that happened. I was like, it was almost like the Lord was like, just admit it. He was like luring me out to be like. I have these feelings for Isaac. I had no idea, honestly. But the Lord told me... Wow, so you suppressed those feelings pretty <laughs> deep. It's pretty... But the, yeah, the Lord told me... I was like, what do I do with this? Because he was not... You know, we were not in a place to date. And he just said, just be his friend. Like, a friend is all he needs right now. So I just I shoved it down. And I was like, I'm going to be his friend. <laughs> It was crazy too, because I was. Um, there was a few years I fell away from the Lord, and I was in a hot mess. And um, that's when I realized I liked him. Yeah, <laughs> and but I had no idea. But like, yeah, because okay. I was so like, I think I was so like heartbroken by the, like his this, behavior. Yeah, and like I was like, I I really care for him, and like I I felt so sad, and I was like, God, why do I feel sad? Mm. Yeah, and it's funny wow. at that That's at that deep. time there was only I think a, a few people who I felt like I could actually trust as a friend. Yep, and she was actually one of them. And we weren't even talking a lot. It was like probably twice a year. Yeah, but um, I was like, oh, like she actually cares about me as a person. And also, she doesn't sugarcoat things, but she says things to me straight, which I found really like um, like intentional and trustworthy. So mm. That's beautiful. What sticks out to me about you guys, and I told them this, because I asked them about you, you know, what's your vibe? You know, I did a vibe check on you guys. And, and I, not, not, not in a bad way, but like, I have to remind myself that you actually are younger, because you're so solid for your age. So there has to come like with that a grace, you know, because you actually are younger, but you're so solid for your age that I also have to remember like, okay, but they're younger. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not like, it's a thing of like, you're, you're so solid that you are, you appear older than you are. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what you recognize about her. Like she's so solid, she's trustworthy. And so you guys connected, you got married 
And so like, when did you start like leading worship together? YWAM? I think, I think. So even YWAM, before like, marriage. 2016. Yeah, way before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's special. I think it even in the natural. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. It we, was like we sounded good together yeah. in the natural too. Yeah. Like, there was but. something clicked in the spirit, like when we <laughs> led together. <laughs> 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 this classic here. Run the heavens. <laughs> oh, run the heavens. <laughs> so that's awesome. So now Tina and DK, you guys have been married for how long? Six years. Six. Yeah. Yeah. Six years. Mm-hmm. And did you guys have you got how long have you guys been doing like this together ministry? Demons together. (laughs) (laughs) Expelling demons together. (laughs) When did we get into this stuff? Maybe like... like, Before COVID, was it like 2018? 2018, maybe. Yeah. Maybe 2017? Yeah. I think it's after I got my demons kicked out. I was like, we got to do this. This is real. That's great. So I'm talking to two couples here that are love each other, love the Lord, and are doing ministry stuff together. So I, I really appreciate that um, because a church is a family of families. And so that's really something uh, special. So as it relates to just your journey in worship and discipleship, what, what would you say are some of the things that really maybe need to be said? Like if you could speak into the movement of worship and the church itself, like and at large, what were, what are some things that you think need to be said? I think uh, I think we got to take away the glamour of worship as a culture mm-hmm. because it's not about the stage. It's not about your. It's not about you. It's not about. That's pretty offensive. <laughs> It's not about, yeah, it's not about you. It's not about, like, people, people's recognition, Mm -hmm. but it's about worship, ministry unto the Lord. And I think that's what is missing. And I think bringing that into a secret place, I think there's a lot of what can we get from worship, but it's... I don't think that's the heart of worship. Yeah. So, yeah. in other words, we need to be building altars, not just stages and platforms. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I have a, a picture here on my phone. I'm not going to use names because I don't want it. It's not about exposing someone. It's about a spirit. So there is a picture of a conference. And on the, on the picture of the conference, there's one, two, three, four, five speakers and, and then host pastors. The host pastors are like four or five times the size of the speakers on the flyer. Mm-hmm. Like their mm-hmm. like their face. Like the, the like in face. like size wise. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Now it's like the Avengers. Yeah. And <laughs> and so we're we're purposely not saying names because mm-hmm. this is not about shaming anyone or being judgmental. This is mm-hmm about a fair and honest critique of what is wrong and being honest with ourselves to resist the appeal to participate in what's wrong because it makes us feel right, but it's wrong. 
And so like the thing that I that I have, I, I think that the celebrity culture of worship or of preachers is very destructive to the church. And I'm not saying that people can't have favor, money, or influence. But what happens is if you treat a worship leader like a rock star, they're gonna start to behave like a rock star. And it's the same thing with pastors. If you treat a pastor like a rock star, he too will behave like a rock star mm. and everything that comes with that. And so I think that the whole celebrity thing is really damaging to the church at large. So this is not about like naming people. This is about that spirit that exalts man and puts man in a position that man doesn't deserve is really destructive to who we are as a corporate person. Mm -hmm. So the, per the corporate identity, let's say of the church in America, the testimony is full of scandal because of the celebration of celebrity. And God is looking for integrity, not celebrity. Mm. And on one, on one sense, like I get why they do the whole like marketing of a face because people fall in love with people, not logos. So in one sense, I, I understand that. Like I get that, like on that, on the human side of it. But on, on the other side of it, it's really dangerous and it's something that I am trying to intentionally push against because it's very destructive. And in, 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 for example, it's something that you build or you feed it and you think it's feeding you, but it's actually poisoning you. Hmm. And many people are killed by the culture that they built. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that that to me is really really destructive where, you know, you have no one who can speak into your life and who can tell you no you're wrong. Like today I told my pastor I said if you ever hear me say anything ridiculous tell me. You know, cuz we were talking about some things today and, and stuff that he was hearing, you know, from young guys coming out of their mouth and I'm like, "Listen, if you ever hear anything like that, you have to tell me because I don't I don't want to do that, you know. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring reproach to Jesus. I don't want to bring reproach to my family, and I don't want to hurt people. I mean, we're in ministry to glorify Jesus and bring healing to people, not destroy people by the culture we built that then exalts you and kills you too. And and we execute our own and then we find another face and then we do it to them hmm. again and again and again. And and it doesn't it doesn't produce good results. Mm. Now let me ask you: Is that a thing in the Korean American church, or do you guys have like coming from where you came from? Because you guys are both from predominantly Korean churches, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing in the Korean American church? You talk about celebrity culture. The whole celebrity thing. I could see a pattern more being that. Uh, almost like a, a mentality of martyrdom service is really put on the people where uh, it can get easy to get caught up in like, uh, like, oh, I'm the, I'm the hero of this church. Like I'm gonna be serving like crazy. I'll do everything uh, okay. because that's what like a Christian would do. And then like over time that kind of ends up 
that could even feed ego. That could feed like just reliance, and that often yeah. leads to burnout. And I feel like um, when that happens, that's that's when like a celebrity mentality can gr- even grow in a person. But it's more like a uh, look how much yeah. that they do. Yeah, it's not the same spirit. You see, what 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 we need to watch out for. Mm is the cultural propensities to bondage. Mm. So one of the things, in my opinion, that is strong in the Asian culture is discipline and work ethic, hard work. I mean, besides Indians, you are the, the, the richest minorities anywhere. So like Indian American Indians are like the, the richest. But then I think Koreans, Japanese, the, the whole Asian culture are like you're known like not not to sound like a jerk but you're the only culture that has a positive stereotype mm. <laughs> like you know the the, the culture like, like the stereotypes of italians are like the mafia or like black people it's drug dealers or like you know like you guys are like what's the stereotype hard workers drive a lexus like that's bad drivers. Yeah, bad drivers, but <laughs> that's kind of negative. Drives a Lexus, yeah. drives a Lexus badly. Yeah. Drive. I drive a Lexus badly, but, but still, that's better than, you know, not driving a Lexus. So the cultural stereotype, uh, you know, is, is generally positive, which is rare. That's interesting. But what I'm, what I'm trying to actually pull out is that the American culture is built on celebrity. The Korean culture is built on discipline, honor, and hard work. Mm-hmm. So what happens is... If the culture is first and Jesus is not first, the culture will assassinate us. Yeah. Yeah. So the, if the culture of the world is first in the church, it's really destructive. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing, like, culturally, we all have propensities to cultural bondage. And you have to be aware of those if you're going to break through that and then minister to people in that. So that's that's and that's actually a part of discipleship. I think sometimes with our whole discipleship thing, it's it's so like it's so based on teaching that we don't ever talk about the real things that apply the teaching mm-hmm. in reality. Yeah. So I think that's that's something. So so you're saying that ultimately Basically, the whole service, basically becoming a slave or a martyr to the church, would be more of a, a of a cultural thing that needs to be checked in the Korean American church, versus the celebrity yeah. thing. Well, also with the celebrity thing, you're building an influence, right? You're building a pulp, a platform to have yeah. influence. The Asian culture is an honor based culture, like you said. So there's already a built in influence there. You automatically have to follow and listen to elderly, the person with the title the pastor, the elder position. So there's already a built-in leadership that could be really abused if not if that's not stewarded well. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that something that you that you've experienced like in terms of like the abuse of leadership or more the neglect of leadership? I think you you see it. You see it throughout. Yeah. Throughout the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are what are some things as it relates to discipleship? that you think need to be kind of heard as it relates to, you know, young people, people who are hungry for the Lord and people trying to reorient their life around Christ. Like what are some things, you know, that you need to say, like that you think need to be said? I think rest is a huge part of discipleship because 
you can't do anything that's significant out of not resting. I think rest yep. is faith because like what <laughs> like the, rest Israel, is faith. the Israelites Take that. like they couldn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief and that was their restlessness. They couldn't enter into the rest. So I think powerful. that that in all cultures is necessary like rest. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I, I want to jump in on that like um I think that one of the biggest things is really identifying if you are serving or doing what you're doing, because uh, it can look good on this on the surface, but if it's for identity, or it's or if it's from your identity, and this is actually something the Lord was reminding me about, because I can have a propensity to uh, want to almost like keep going, striving, working, grinding, all these things, and it could even um, be skinned with church service, you know, and that was how I burned out in the past. But that was one of the first notes I put where if I'm, if I'm going from identity, then, uh, I can understand the concept of rest and even like, no, I don't have to do that right now. Where, as opposed to like, if it's, if I'm working or serving for identity, then my mentality is like, I'm going to keep going and running on empty and striving and all these things. Uh, what is it? Like if I'm working for identity, then I think there's not enough resources. There's not enough time. I got to keep going. Like they need me, things like that. Or um, I'm very results driven. Where if it's like I'm from my identity in Christ, I'm, I'm working from that place, then I think uh, there's abundance, there's humility. No one needs me. No one needs my service. Uh, everything's going to be fine whether I do things or not. And uh, I'm not... Pretty much, I'm not the one holding this thing together. Yeah, that's a that's a really important lesson. I learned that lesson in my life many many times, but one of the most extreme times was when my mom died. My mom was like three people in one. So like, I lost a mom. I lost someone that was homeschooling my children. I lost the head of our children's church. I lost my personal intercessor. Like I, I learned, I lost the mediator between my dad and the rest of the family. Like you know, there's one mediator between you know Adam and uh, Angelo, and it's the woman Andrea Lebecki. <laughs> so she died, and I'm like, dang, like this is this like really powerful woman who did like everything, and when she died, the world kept spinning. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, like, that was like a really sobering thing for me. Like, like, Adam, you're going to die and the world's going to keep spinning. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, like, in other words, like, you have to, it sounds crazy, but you have to pace yourself or you won't last. Yeah. Like, for example, let's just say we're talking about going to Haiti. Would I rather go to Haiti three times a year for the next 20 years or five times a year for the next three years? You know, sometimes you just have to really ask yourself in terms of long-term, we're not in a rush. The whole world is not dependent on me. And if I think the whole world is dependent on me, I'm going to fail the people who actually are really dependent on me. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and, that's, and that's, that's a lesson that you, you, know, you have to learn. It's better to learn that now than with kids. You know, and, and so that's just what I what I learned. And I think that you, like, there is this thing of, like, yeah, like, living above your feelings and doing what you're responsible for, that's half of the coin. But on the other side of that coin, 
you know, the tales of that coin is like, if you don't rest, you won't last. Mm -hmm. And there's something profound about saying, I'm gonna rest. And I think that that's really just an act of resistance mm -hmm. against the world and against that everything yeah, in the world. Yeah, it's like such an act of resistance because, I mean, even if we're, when we're talking about rest, it's not like, oh, rest after you're exhausted because mm -hmm. you need it. Yeah. It's like, no, rest comes first. Rest came before the fall. Like rest is where everything else flows out of. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. When the rest of the world sees rest as like a recovery, mm -hmm. it is a form of resistance mm -hmm. to the culture and the flow of the culture to say, no, actually, this is where everything else flows from. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just think that's that's powerful. That's needed in, in our culture today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think busyness is at war with intimacy. Um, I think that many times we medicate our anxiousness with busyness. I think many times we get a, a sense of self-worth from busy. I think that busy is an illusion to productivity. Like you could be so busy, but you've done nothing. You know, and, and I think that like the world that we live in, right, is, is created in such a way that it keeps us so busy that we never have time to critically think and analyze our life like i'll just say this this is this is a little a step you know faith but it's honest i'm homeschooling my kids i am not the best at it my wife could do it a lot easier than me and probably not want to pull her hair out and it's been a major challenge in my life but it's been something that god is doing in my life one of the things i've learned in homeschool is that it really doesn't take eight hours to do the amount of work a kid has to do in a day. It really doesn't. Even if the kid is struggling with work. So what is that? It becomes basically a public babysitting system. Mm -hmm. A space for indoctrination so that you can drop them off, hand your responsibilities over to someone else, mm -hmm. right? And they're busy all day while you're busy all day. You pick them up, you take them to a sport, now you're busy at night. Mm -hmm. By the time you get home, you're probably eating stuff that's no good for you. And you're and, and, and this is this is and this is not a bad person. This is not like someone who's like snorting coke and you know having sex with everyone. This is just like a normal person with a job, honestly trying to do their best. Mm -hmm. Like a hamster on a wheel with no critical time for themselves no time for their marriage and and it's like how long in that structure do you think it's going to last hmm. you know it's it's made to break people and you know like you get overly tired you get overly vulnerable you you get overworked you most people i mean that that's the situation so like but jesus has a great solution all you who are weary, come. Yeah. Yes. And and I think that the system of the world, specifically the system that is in place now, it it works to really wear. It's dehumanizing. That's just the bottom line. Mm. Am I right or am I wrong or, or like? Yeah, you know it's it's funny. Like um, 
it's always a fight for me to not rush into my work day um, and to really just like sit with the Lord and then just be still before him. And I've been doing that now for like almost a year. And what I find really fascinating, and if, if I miss it in the morning, then I'm going to get it in midday. But I find that time moves slower <laughs> when I just sit there. And then like, I just close my eyes and I just like, just listen to the Lord, wait on the Lord. And then sometimes there's frantic thoughts that come up, like, I got to do this. I got to go here. And that it's usually like a, a gauge of where my heart's at, where my mind is at, what kind of anxious thoughts are trying to flow through and steal that moment. But then it's funny, when I center and then I open my eyes, I'm like, oh, only like nine minutes passed, but I already feel so refreshed just sitting in his presence for that short amount of time. And uh, as opposed to like, if I'm like, um, like preoccupying my mind in some other uh, just task or YouTubing or whatever. So like yeah. you can waste so much time so quickly and then it just takes from you and yeah. drains you. I repented, of that. I repented of that in one of our last podcasts. Oh, I was staring. It's like, I've been staring at, well, I don't know, was it was sneakers or something. I'm like, man, I, they haven't changed how they look. It's, it's either like buy them or leave them alone. Like it's too much. Like it's not, it's very easy. And, and what is it called? It's called the search engine. Hmm. It's what we're seeking. And and I and I think I think that honestly, for me, because I'm like I don't maybe you're not like this, but I desire big things. Like I'm not into cheap things or little things. And one of the things that I've learned from the Lord, the Lord asked me like I don't know like a year ago or something. He goes, "Do you trust me with the desires of your heart? Mm. Like, do you feel that you have to go elsewhere to satisfy what you want or need or think you need?" Like, do you trust that in honoring and serving me that I can bring you forward in this life? Or do you think that you have to go around me some other way to try to acquire what you want? Mm. Like he was testing the core of what is it that I believe, not about me and not about what I want, but actually about him. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, man, like, you know what? I said, no, I... I trust you with the desires of my heart. Yeah. So when I cast my cares on the Lord, which are real, I mean, I have real cares, real concerns, just like all of you. I also say, Lord, you know what? I, I also give you the desires of my heart and I trust you yeah. with what I want and, 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 and all that. Because I just, I just find that like, it's safer for me to put that on him than carry that. Mm. Yeah. Um, I want to travel light in, in the sense of, you know, what I'm carrying. You can never have peace if you chase after the world's priorities. The, wor yes. the world's going to tell you what the priorities are. If we adhere to that, there'll never be peace in our lives. Yeah. And that's a discipleship thing I, I wish I learned sooner is, is making God priority. That's why he said, seek the kingdom first. First. He'll add to your life. But I think um, early when you kind of come, come into the kingdom and you're getting discipled, you just add that to another priority, but you have to make that the priority, not a priority in your long yeah. list of things. And I think that's key to life change and being yeah. fruitful in the kingdom. Yeah, that's... Oh, and, and you have to also really believe that he does want to add, yeah. you know, to if you seek him first, he'll yeah. add all yeah. these other things to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think that's like, that's on Jesus's heart for our joy to be complete. That's what he said, like, in like his last words to his disciples like yeah. whatever you 
you ask asking my name so mm-hmm. that your joy will be complete. Yeah, and I, and I find that what we're talking about is most definitely a discipleship issue when it comes to following the Lord, because when you look at the people who in the in the Scripture, let's use the Scripture, who were met with Jesus and the reality of Jesus, and those who rejected Him or didn't accept the invitation to follow. It was, all, it was all people who thought that they had more to lose than they had to gain. Rich young ruler. And yeah, and not only the rich young ruler, but the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees were like, well, we're gonna lose our spot mm-hmm. and we're gonna lose our nation, we're gonna lose everything. But they wound up losing their nation anyway and their main city and their temple. Mm-hmm. So they wound up losing everything instead of being a part of a movement that can't lose. They, I mean, think about how well they knew the Bible. Imagine if they would have embraced the Lord. Who could Paul. they have been? They could have been. They could have been a bunch of Pauls. They could have been best-selling <laughs> author. But now, instead, they got their their church building destroyed <laughs> by Rome. You know, and it's it's always like it's it's a it is when you're talking about economics, it is a theological issue. Hundred percent. At the because it's like you can't serve. It's not God and the devil. It's God or Mammon. Mm. And so when you realize that if God hasn't withheld his son and he has given us his very best, why can I believe that? (laughs) But I cannot believe that he's going to take care of me temporally. It's like, how am I convinced that my eternity is secure, that my salvation is paid in full, but my tomorrow is up in the air? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It's intellectually incoherent. I don't think people even ask that question no. to even get there. I don't think that the enemy or the world wants us to ask those questions. Yep. And I think that we've lost the the art of self-examination <laughs> at the communion table, which is something you brought up recently in our leaders meeting, which is interesting because then I was thinking about what you said. And as I'm preparing for the prophetic school for week six... I'm I'm preparing something that I've never seen before and I'm like, oh, this is this is something from the Lord here. But but this idea of like where is a safe space mm-hmm. for me to do self-examination? Cuz if you don't do self-examination, you'll wind up being exposed. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like you you audit yourself or you you're gonna get your whole account frozen, mm. you know. So it's like you you might as well ask the Lord. And you know, you see this even before the communion table, because the Lamb is slain before the foundation of the world, and the principles of the kingdom are eternally true. David is like, "Search me, O God." Mm. I mean, that that's the very cry yep. of the communion table <clears throat> is, "Search me, O God." Mm. You know. So it's like, yeah. So I, that that's a thing. Um, you know, something that um, Tina brought up at our leaders meeting and something that you also brought up like recently was about like feedback. And yep. I think that for me, like asking, so there was like a book that I was going through for discipleship and one of the parts was like self-awareness. And it one of the activities was ask people that you trust, ask people who know you what they don't like about you or what like you could work on and that like doing that actually like completely like 
I think I had the biggest breakthrough in approaching people and being like, hey, is there something that I need to work on? Is there something that I should be more aware of to grow in my relationship and in my own self-awareness? Yeah. yeah, that's really important. And that's what successful people do. They solicit feedback. Like Brett, he he has a brutal, like he's like just laying on me. Like he wants that, mm-hmm. you know, like he asked for that. Um, and, and that was the thing that really shocked me about him. The more I got to know him, the more I'm like, he, he's a humble guy, like on the inside. Like he's this rough guy, but he's like a humble guy. Because mm-hmm. only someone who's humble believes that they need that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, if I'm scared to ask for feedback, it's because A, I might think I'm okay. B, I might have a really you know inflated version of myself that's not <laughs> real. Or C, I might be afraid. I might be afraid that someone's gonna hurt me by telling me something about myself that I already know and I'm hoping no one else sees. <laughs> it's self-denial. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and that's, really, that's really damaging to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always solicit feedback. Like I always tell my pastor, like, listen, you can say anything to me, like whatever you wanna say, like lay it on me. And I, I, I find that in my younger years with him, it was a lot more brutal because I needed it. Now it's a lot more encouraging. But before it was like, it was very brutal. Like today he looked me in the face and he's like, you've been faithful. Like you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna, it's happening. Like you're gonna, you're gonna really like, because I, I shared with him something that the Lord shared with me. And he was like, yep. Like, and and so I think that just building that into the culture of our lives. Now let me ask this personal question. Cause, cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak on behalf of my wife, since she's not here. <laughs> Sarah can handle brutality. In the sense of, her and I will give each other brutal feedback, like, and I wouldn't speak to like no one else like that, cause I don't think it's fully appropriate. <laughs> when we were first married, we we had this joke: we'd like build a bridge, and get over it. Because we love each other, we're committed to each other, we're not trying to hurt each other, but we're going to have to be honest. Mm. And, and, and it's a little bit difficult being honest. And I think that things get better the more honest you get. I think that that's true in a marriage relationship, whether you're talking about physical intimacy, your life, your sex life, or uh, economics, or the things that you really desire, or expectations, like, like getting to the very, very core of the onion. I think it takes some time, but I think that when you get there, it's worth it. So she can take hardcore feedback where I would dial that back on most people because mm-hmm. I don't think most people are ready because they don't live with someone like me, which is not easy. That's that's a, that's a confession. Like I, I'm not like Sarah's more of an easy person. I'm not as an easy person. Um, so like, how do you guys navigate as married people giving each other feedback. Is it mostly encouraging or does Heidi Baker have, uh, <laughs> you know, like, do you do you go brutal on him or like vice versa? Like, or are you guys so holy that it's not necessary? <laughs> well, we both value truth. So I think 
a part of that is you do you're you're honest with each other and you're not it doesn't hurt any i remember for me it was like i want to hear what's honest and true because if i don't hear it it's almost like implicit in that is you think i'm that fragile that mm. i can't handle feedback and i can't handle truth mm. so i remember telling him early on like i want to hear what's true and i want to hear feedback because to me if you think that I can't handle that, it says more about, yeah, just like character and the fact that you that you would think that that's gonna like crush me or you know that yeah, honesty yeah. will somehow yeah. yeah. So I think early on that was something we did talk yeah, about yeah. yeah. And I think um, I'll admit earlier in the in the marriage, it's it kind of felt more like I had to perform well as a husband. There was a lot of insecurity there. Yeah, but. Once you go through stuff, you're like, this marriage could stand anything. You, it, you're not, you're just open. You're just honest. And I think you got to have security in the marriage too, to be like that. Yeah. yeah. I was a jerk in the beginning. Like I put too much pressure on my wife. And David, my pastor said, she's going to be the only person who gets to heaven by works. <laughs> because we, we just had a lot to do and it was just either her or me. And it was just no other way around it. So it's like... There was just no way. Mm. So, but I, the Lord did something in my life where I really died hardcore. And then I stopped doing that, which made our relationship better on a few different, <laughs> a few different ways. So <laughs> let's just say it that way. But, but it, it's better to not put too much pressure. Mm. But it's also necessary to be honest privately with one another one time i'll give you an example one time i wrote a book and i handed her the manuscript and what she was going to do is she took it put it in indesign and made it print ready she knows how to do all that stuff mm -hmm. so she helped me with all that and she when i gave it to her she gave it back to me and goes that's not your best i was like that's pretty offensive uh but i built a bridge and i realized that she loves me enough to tell me the truth mm -hmm. and she was right yeah. And so, so I find that it's definitely a two-way street in in your marriage and your relationship. Now, like you guys flow well together in worship, but also as worship leaders, there's things that you maybe notice that other people don't pick up. <laughs> so, like, how do you guys address that with each other? Is that something that you're still working through? Like, you want me to share? Can I share? Yeah, go for oh, it. Oh yeah. So a few a few weeks ago, I told him, hey. That didn't sound great, <laughs> like or like <laughs> the way you played. You know, be, I basically gave him like honest feedback, and he we we do that. Like we can be honest with each other. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I think we're pretty truthful people generally, so it's it's always kind of been there. I think, but in transparency, the first year when just on my end, I realized I needed to say things kindly. Like, yeah. I could be truthful, but sometimes, yeah. like, especially when we're very busy, I would just yeah. lose the formalities of niceness and be like, we got to do this, 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 this. You do this, I do this, let's go. And then, like, <laughs> it just was not, yeah. I'm, like, not treating her at all, like, the way she should be treated as a wife, friend, like, partner. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't even notice because that's actually my, that was my internal dialogue to myself busy. then. Like, oh. let's go, 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 come on. Busy. We gotta do this, we don't have time for this, let's go. I was like, we're not gonna be late, we're not gonna do this. But it was just, <laughs> that has died, that's really died. And the Lord, like, 
the Lord has been really just going like, you need to treat her yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. with like very differently from that. Like that's not, yeah. that's not going to sustain you guys. Yeah. So. That was a revelation I had too. The Lord gave me like, she's my daughter before she's your wife. So you need to respect her. Yep. Um, and that's that's sobering. And, and then also too, like when you bring other, when you bring children into the world, your children are gonna look at how you treat your wife as that's normative. So now, if my children are gonna misbehave, and they do, and let's say you know Elijah scratches, you know Zoe, and Zoe slaps him in the face. It's a true story. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> Very specific. She slapped him dead in his face. Bang. Open hand. Oh yeah. She she got aggressive and and uh and I'm like, but Zoe, like, do you see me and mommy slapping each other? Like you you can't we don't you don't treat each other like that. So the basis of how they should be treating each other yeah. is how we're treating each other. Now you guys as worship leaders and as ministry leaders, like people come into the environment of how you guys treat each other and that's what people enter into and that's what they experience when they come into a church they come into a church and they experience the love that we have for jesus but that's most commonly expressed not in how i preach or not in how you sing but in actually how we treat people Mm. and i find that that's really that's really important in creating community and in creating an ecosystem where people can kind of grow and people feel safe enough to deal with their issues. Because if you create an ultra performance culture where it's performance, 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 then I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my next performance review. I'm not worried about getting healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, I, and I think that that's really dangerous too. Like that's on the other side of we're gonna confront you and tell you, like that's important. But if you create fear and you create a performance culture. Performance is not excellence because the motive is different. Mm. Performance is about me. Excellence is about the Lord. Yep. So it's a totally different spirit in which it operates. So you mm. could have a stage full of lights and, and screens, and it could be excellence. Or you could have the same stage full of lights and screens, and the root of it can be performance. Mm. And on the outside, it looks the same. But spiritually, it's not the same. But excellence produces and performance damages. Mm. And so when you look at like going running back full circle to the beginning of our conversation, the whole celebrity culture yeah. or working people to, to, the, to, the, to the core, either one of those, that, that's orphan, it's lack, yep. it's based on need, it's not based on the supply of the Father. It's based on lack of orphans. It's based on performance, and, and, and it's really damaging to people. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, like, when people fall, there's a lot of collateral damage. That's why exalting people is not really it. Yeah. It's yeah. not it. Like, I had a guy once, and he's like, you know, I really believe in the fivefold ministry. I'm like, that's awesome. That means that you're not going to be the only guy on the radio. Because if you have a five-fold ministry in your church, mm-hmm. you're not going to be the only guy in the radio. <laughs> There's going to be four other voices on the radio if you believe in a five-fold ministry. Mm. And, and I think that what we're going after at Rescue is we're trying to create a culture of powerful people and then creating space for that. And, and that, that's very important to me because it's, it's kind of like, 
if everyone that you're around isn't powerful, then how powerful are you really? Mm. Like, because the whole point of power is to empower. Mm. It's not to control. It's not to manipulate. It's like, I mean, I want to raise up rock stars. I don't want to be, not literally, but you know what I mean. Like, you want to raise up powerful people. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be like, yeah, it's like my kid has been with me since he's, he's 12. Oh, that's awesome. You're a great dad. No, he's 64 and he still lives with me. Like, like he's never did anything on his, on his own. It's like, oh, that's amazing. Like, no, that's a loser. That's not amazing. Like, we want to, you know, raise up people and release them to do what they're called to do. If that's here, great. If it's not, then, you know, whatever. We don't own people. You know, we're not like slave drivers. Mm. But, but it's really beautiful to see what the Lord is doing. Yeah, you want the next generation to go beyond what we could have done. Yeah. To stand on our shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And and I look at my children and I'm like they they don't get they don't get what is normal to them. They just they don't have any idea. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like Zoe is like talking about this trip. Yeah, she's, she's getting ready. About she five wants to do trips in the next <laughs> yeah. 5 years. My daughter wow. is like 9 years old. You know, she's going to be 9 and she's like, "Oh yeah, next year in 2024, we need to do an all women trip to Brazil." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> she's like, "Vision." Yeah, yeah, yep. she's a visionary seer like but so so it's like stuff for, to her that is normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love my parents. They're awesome, but that wasn't normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They don't like what I'm what they're getting to do. I didn't get to do that. Um, and and, I, and I'm sure if they're faithful, they'll take the ball down the field more. And, and I'm excited about that. I think yeah. that's great. Like yep. the generations and serving the Lord and God being a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and the generations together. And even, even the prophetic unites generations. So the prophetic, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus who revealed Christ, his perspective. But it also connects generations and it breaks down the walls uh, that economics and ethnicity and gender would try to create. Mm. Because when God pours out his spirit, sons, daughters, and maid servants and manservants. Mm. So basically slaves who are men and slaves who are women all can speak because of the spirit. Mm. So when, when God comes, he connects the generations and he connects... Where there would be a divide, and and you know he 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 brings that all together for his purposes. So that's a beautiful thing, mm. um, and I and I see a lot of that. Like the, the, you know, there's different socioeconomic realities at rescue. There's different ethnicities. There's different, and what God is doing is beautiful. And and we you know we value you guys and view you as central to uh, what the Lord is doing. So if there's anything that you could share. You know, as it relates to just serving and being all in, like what would you what would you say to people that they're like they 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 know they need to kind of get in and be in, but they're not fully there. Like, how did the Lord cultivate that willingness in your heart? Hmm. I mean, I'll I'll start it for you and then pass you the ball back. You guys were young at YWAM. Mm-hmm. So you were young and willing. So there was something. I don't know what it was, but I mean, I know who it was. It was Jesus. But <laughs> there's something going on in your young heart where you're like, man, we got to seek after the Lord. Like, what was that from? 
I think I should just keep going. Like when you said that, I was just reminded about like um, there's just a moment when like like when I first encountered Jesus, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, this is like the only thing, like only concept person that I've encountered that feels significant. Everything else feels um, almost superficial, mm-hmm. vague, empty, and like that that happened to me when I was eight years old. Dang, it was. Um, like I had this moment where like the Holy Spirit came on me at this like Sunday school retreat, but like I one I felt the weight of my sin, and like it was weird. I had a, a like a lifetime flash of all these things that happened. Long story short, accepted the Lord, and everything else after that just seemed kind of um, like I felt like it was finite. You know, it, it's just not it's not gonna last and. Since then, still, like, uh, it's been up and down in my life. But what I can say is that nothing gives me peace. Nothing gives me purpose the way um, I, I know I have when I'm walking with Jesus. And I think what I guess what I would say to answer your question about just discipleship, there's like three things that came to mind. One was like, get over yourself. Like, that's the first thing I would say is like, it's not about you. It's um, yeah. like, yes, there is there is a journey that you're going to be on. But when you start making it too much about when I start making it too much about me, mm-hmm. that's when uh, performance can kick in. That's when like my striving kicks in or like even like this go, go, go that I can't stop. Why? Because I'm trying to strive for more than what the Lord has given me at this moment, at this current pace that he's anointed for me. So I think I would just say just. Just get over yourself. Um, two, a pastor, I always hear your voice now. I would say slower. Um, like, just to don't think rush. that that would even come out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's supernatural. Yeah, like, <laughs> Where did that come from? Go slow. <laughs> and uh, three, uh, I would really say, um, say no more. Uh, especially if you're a person who... For whatever reason, you just feel like you got to say yes all the time. That might actually be a sign you got to say no, mm. uh, to uh, and just just wait. Things will be fine. But yeah, that's what comes to mind right now. Mm. Cool. You said something interesting earlier today about the whole flowing out inside, flowing out individually. I don't know if that pertains. No. What did I say? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> flowing out. Just um, quoting you. Um, it must be powerful. Must have been profound. <laughs> but uh, one thought, sorry, I don't remember what I said, but one that I had while Isaac was sharing was um, I feel like today to encourage the people, like the word of God is literally like the breath of God mm-hmm. is on the word. And I think that mm-hmm. culture has hijacked what scripture is Mm. and it's about a person it's like the person of jesus is on these pages and so when we come to the bible and think it's like a dead thing yep you're gonna get something dead back like you're gonna get a dead religion but if you come to the bible expecting like i don't understand anything that's in here jesus but you're in here and i want to know you and you just open it up expecting an encounter with the living Jesus, that will change your life. Like, um, yeah, you know, you can go to church and church can never change your life. You could sit in 
services, even if the word of God's being preached and it, it won't change you. But I think if you come to scripture with just that little bit of faith that the person of Jesus, the creator, the one who created you, wants a relationship, wants mm-hmm. to encounter you, um, to start there because everything else is fading. <laughs> you yeah. know, all the glory of man, all of that <laughs> that we're talking about with uh, worship culture that we see, it's it's all fading away. And the only thing that's going to last is the eternal word of God. And so it would do us well yeah. <laughs> to open that up. And How dare you tell Christians to read their Bible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the other thing I would say is there's so much distraction in the world today and in culture, and it's kind of like pervading church culture too. Um, so I would say focus, like don't multitask, you know, when you're trying to read scripture or you're trying to worship or you're trying to do this or that, like mm-hmm. focus one thing yeah. at a time. Don't, mm-hmm. yeah. I think distraction is like the seed of idolatry and we really need to like weed that out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty convicting. I just put my phone down 45 <laughs> seconds ago, but nobody can see me. <laughs> That's deep. Yeah. Distraction is another thing that, that wars against discipleship because it's a false sense of priority. Mm-hmm. Like an- another thing that I've, that I've thought about with distraction is it's the opposite of worship. Mm, yeah. The opposite <laughs> of worship is distraction. Um, and, and that's, that is the, and to me, like, I find that like spiritually, emotionally and mentally, which I'm delineating those three, Mm. but they all kind of are interwoven. And when I spend time worshiping, focusing on Jesus, whatever, I have a heightened sense of what is important. And there are things that begin to bubble in me and come to the forefront of my mind that I wasn't thinking about that God is saying, no, you should be thinking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me help you think about that. You were thinking about you, but now that you have taken your eyes off of you and the next thing you need, now you're worshiping me and I'm going to show you what is important to me right now by reminding you about so-and-so. Mm. or such and such or something that you need to do and I think that it's real important that we determine our priorities from the presence of God yeah. and, and with the word of God mm. like to let God set the agenda for our day and I think that the world is so against Jesus being Lord and the world is okay with you being Lord or it being Lord, mm-hmm. but just not Jesus. And I think that we have to be really aware of that. Like the world will try to make you the Lord, but you're not the Lord, and I'm not the Lord, and I'd make a terrible Lord. I think we got to bring lordship back yeah. <laughs> into, into Christianity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Supremacy and preeminence. Mm-hmm. So he is supreme whether you believe it or not, but when you believe the supremacy of Jesus, then he becomes preeminent. And on the other side of him being preeminent is his purposes for our life. So if I want anything more than the kingdom, I won't have that. I won't have the kingdom. And so that's why hunger is really important because 
when you're willing to seek the kingdom first, then God is saying, okay, now I'm morally obligated to add to you. That's what people don't realize. Like many people don't get the fact that if you actually put God first, he's literally morally obligated to add to you because <laughs> he can't lie. Yep, this is a word. Mm. I think on the on the other like end of that, there's nothing that we can add to God or like yeah. add to the glory of God or do anything yeah. to take away from the glory of God. Yeah. And just think about like yeah. your life. Like let's just talk about something. This is practical, but I find this to be real. Like let's just say you you want something. Let's say it's a material thing, right? When you open it up, do you sit there and cry about it? I don't. And I like stuff. I'm not going to, you know, front with you. I like stuff. I don't, you know, open a new pair of sneakers and just have a meltdown crying. Like, oh, my God, these changed my life. But tell me if you're not sitting in the Bible and you're sitting there reading and God gives you like a little insight and all of a sudden you open up on the inside with like a fountain. You know what I mean? Like it's like you're having a, a mental moment here. You're like, Ooh! you know, you're like crying and it's like. I was just, you know, I just saw something and, you know, I don't know, yeah. Leviticus, you know, and, like, <laughs> and, you're like, and, and, and that's a sign to our humanity yeah. that the life of God and what God is showing us is far more important than all the things of the world because you have such a deep reaction to that. Yeah. And a great need. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, get, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you, you get something that you want. And, and you're like, okay, cool, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then God gives you something that you can't buy. Mm -hmm. It's like you cannot buy this. Mm -hmm. You can't order it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like priceless. And then you just melt down like, Jesus. oh, Jesus. Yeah. And the thing about that is that that makes you hungry yeah. for more of that. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus said, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. It doesn't mean you won't be thirsty. It means you won't be thirsty for other things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and that's how you know like God has done, has really ruined you in a good way mm -hmm. because like you won't get pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like me, if I'm if I'm cranky with my wife, I feel bad. I feel like I did major something wrong. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. dang. You know, and it's like and, and that's that's important because as we grow in influence, which is another idol. One of our other idols, influence, influence. We do, we worship worship, and we worship influence. Like, uh, but anyway, after we've slayed those those uh, those demons, you know, as we grow in that, we should re we need to be sensitive. Yeah. Because like people's life could depend on us hearing from God or not. I mean, just think of Isaac. Isaac could have been game over if, he was, if, if Abraham wasn't listening to the now word of God. Mm, no. <laughs> like, we really do live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, like, yeah. like literally. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's important. Like, we need to be paying attention to just what the Lord is saying. And, and, and that's, you know, going back to what Tina is saying, like, being in the scriptures, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. The logos is a lamp. And the rhema is a light unto our feet. Hmm. The rhema word is a light unto our feet. It is a light for insight. 
It shows us what is now. The rhema word releases the power of God into a situation, mm -hmm. but it springs forth from the logos, from, from the scripture, from the written word. Yeah. And we have to bring back the fear of the Lord and a reverence for God's word. Mm -hmm. That is essential to effective discipling and to powerful corporate church worship and the assembly of the saints. Yeah. The scriptures need to be at the forefront with the spirit. Yeah. Not one or the other, but the scriptures and the spirit, the spirit and the scriptures for the people of God mm -hmm. so that we can get our mind right and our heart adjusted yeah. and be a part of what God is doing. Yeah. So the Scripture could just speak for itself. We don't need to worry about making it relevant. Yes. Or cool. it's, the scripture is the power. Yeah. Yes. It's just, Eternal. just how it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like with scripture, with someone who really can teach the Bible, they're not just giving you a good one-liner. They're giving you what it says. Mm. Like I remember my pastor was like, he's like, Ephesians 1.19 is the most powerful verse in the whole Bible. And I'm my young Adam, dumb Adam is like, I'm like, oh my God, how can he say that? Like, like how does he know that? Like, where does he <laughs> find that? You know, I'm thinking in my head, like, is that even biblical to say that? You know, I'm just listening to him. And then I realized that in Ephesians 1, you, you look at it and you, in fact, it is the most powerful. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. Literally. All the powers. Literally. 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 And it really is actually the most powerful verse because it talks about the four powers that raised Jesus from the dead that are at work toward you. So those powers are at work in you, but they're working toward you to exceed all of your expectations by the power of God that is at work within you. Mm. And you're like, I don't feel powerful. Well, <laughs> you're more powerful than you feel, and if you get in the scriptures, you'd know it. Mm -hmm. And you start reading the scriptures and start listening to the Spirit instead of those voices, <laughs> then you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be having victory <laughs> instead of meltdowns, you know? But anyway, so I, um, I've been, uh, I'm super thankful, you know, to have you guys on. Is there any closing remarks? That you like to say to the people there is one more thing I think that's been helping me a lot in this season um, to kind of see to almost like a little litmus test for myself to see is uh, what I'm doing or thinking feeling coming from uh, like from the Lord or from something else and I think just asking the question why and I think this kind of leads to just introspection, but uh, if any thought comes up or like any um, any rushing, any busyness, like why do I have to, let's say, get to this place on time? Why am I trying to do this? Why am I feeling this way? You know, feelings can be a little gauge too. That has always been, um, that's been really helping me discern like what what's in my heart right now. And what am I? What am I really living from? And what's overflowing right now? And is this actually against the Lord? And mm. then just quickly, just putting that to death if I need to. And I'll just say, yeah, ask ask a lot more why. And I guess that goes back to the whole self awareness and yeah. introspection. And the Holy Spirit will help with that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then this goes back to your whole thing again. We go back to the Bible. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> you know, but it's like. 
The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, which means the what and the why. Mm -hmm. The double-edged sword deals with, which is why many people don't want to read the Bible, Mm -hmm. because the Bible reads you, and it deals with the what and my why. And that's really, really important um, because you may be able to lie to yourself, but you can't lie to God. And, and you get in the Word, and the Word is a mirror. And, and, I, and I think that that's really, really important. And, and I really respect that you guys have given yourself to the discipline of study. You guys are in Bible school. I have a high level of respect for that, although I myself am not educated in that manner. I have a high level of regard and respect for that. And I, and I, have a, uh, I think that that's really great. So, yeah. Read your Bible. (laughs) Adam Levecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.